at least this morning, I was at like a kind of reserve church and they all had to start beginning Wednesday. Because then uh, we wouldn't have time for me to preach. Because we would have had to have our uh, the final song. But uh, anyway, thank you for those words. What an exciting thing about Pentecost kind of being our anniversary. I, I did not realize it until this morning. So that's cool. I am kind of ringing up there. That's going to distract us. So if you can turn me out of the monitor or something like that. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. Again, my name is Jamie Vernon, and I am the Connections Pastor here at Tri-Cities Church. And uh, that means that I help you connect with one another, I guess. Uh, but uh, we're excited that, that you're here. It's a little dreary outside, a little gray. It's a little dark in here, but I don't want anybody going to sleep. It's going to be a good morning. It has been a good morning, so stay awake. Find your neighbor, fall asleep, reach over and help them out. But I tell you what, this has been a, a, a crazy month for my family. I want to tell you this. Um, there's been a lot of changes that have gone on, uh, one of which obviously you're a part of because we moved from Hayfield to here. And uh, it, it, that was a great move, a, a, a positive move. But it was, a, it was a, a hard move. It was a hard move for me uh, as one who who started this church and saw it start to grow in Hankville, and then we changed the focus over here, and, and, and it was hard. It was tough for me. And then, Friday night, my baby boy Woo! graduated from high school. Oh. Set, go find your people, tell them what your superpower is. 
I don't want to read minds. Yeah. Yeah, not like constant. <laughs> Go insane. <laughs> you like flying. You have to fly close to the ground. <laughs> really? Scapegoat in your family. 
And so you took the brunt of all the blame of anything that went wrong with your family, right? It was your fault. It had something to do with you somehow, some way, some, somewhere. And so your attitude, the struggle that you may have presently is that you feel like, you know what, I'm weak and, and, and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't do anything about my faults. I'm stuck here. I didn't choose this situation. I didn't choose this temptation. I didn't choose this family. I am stuck. I'm a victim of my circumstances. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's those of you that grew up and you were the hero of your family, right? That was my wife. She was the hero of her family. And, and, and there was a, a, an external, but probably more internal pressure to be this hero, to be this, this good person, to be the good boy, the, the good girl, right? And you're constantly fighting to, to, to keep up this veneer of perfection. You work tirelessly to minimize your, your weaknesses. And, and perhaps now it, it's easy for you to, to puff up yourself or to, to tear other people down so that you can keep this, this facade of no weakness, no failure. Well, I want to tell you that one of our values here at Tri-Cities Church, one of the words we're going to, you're going to hear until you're sick to death of is authenticity. It's important. We take seriously scriptures like 1 John 1, 8 through 10, where it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all right unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and the word is not in us. And James 5, 16 is, is similar. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is now effective. You see, the, the Bible makes it clear. We've all messed up. We have all fallen short. We all have weaknesses. And it's important for us to be a place at Tri-Cities Church, a safe place for people, people to be able to share those weaknesses, to be able to say, it's, it's okay for me to, to, to say this. It's okay for me to share this. It's as important for us to share weaknesses and failures as it is for us to celebrate our triumphs. It is just as important. And so today we're going to look at a, a group of, of scriptures that come towards the end of one of Paul's letters. You've heard the, the name Paul probably if you've been around church. And we're going to talk a little bit about him. But he started a church in the city of Corinth. Um, it's kind of cool. at Corinth Christian Church outside. You saw the, the, the band we came in. Corinth Christian Church is downstairs helping us with the children. That's not the church he started. <laughs> in fact, that church was messed up if you read the book, uh, the first and second uh, letters to the Corinthian church. So, this Corinth, no, not the same. <clears throat> but I want to set this scene up for you, okay? First, let me remind you who Paul was. Paul was an apostle. Now, he was an apostle, but not in the conventional sense that you would think of. You see, back in, in the ancient church, the apostles were these 12 guys that followed Jesus around during all of his ministry. And they, they soaked up everything they could from him. They learned from him. They followed him. And then they, they were eyewitnesses to his death, his burial, his resurrection. And then after he ascended back into heaven, it was their responsibility. He handed the mantle to them to be able to spread the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what was known as the apostles. Well, this was not Paul's story at all. In fact, Paul, at first, was not even called Paul. He was called Saul. And he was a force to be reckoned with. 
He was a Jewish, Jewish terrorist. He had a life ambition to destroy this strange sect of people called Christ followers. It was his, it, he was bent to, to get rid of them. He believed with all of his heart that he was doing God's will as he hunted down Christians and he humiliated them and he arrested them and in the worst cases had them stoned to death. And so it happened while Paul was on his way to a city called Damascus to go and arrest a group of Christians that, that he had a Jesus encounter. Jesus stopped him dead in his tracks. Now what's significant about this is this was after Jesus had already had his ministry, had died, been buried, risen again, and ascended to heaven. So this encounter with Jesus was a close encounter of supernatural kind, complete with the bright lights and the booming voice from heaven. Jesus stopped Saul in his tracks, and it wasn't long after that that Saul became what he hated. He became a Christ follower. And then, after this, Jesus took Saul. We don't know exactly how this happened, but Jesus took Saul, and for what we believe three years, he instructed him. He taught him personally. So this is what made Paul, Saul, an apostle. We get a, a quick description of this in Paul's letter to the Galatian church. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. And here he's talking about getting this all straight from Jesus. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now fast forward, and Saul is now called Paul. And he was an influential missionary and a starter of churches. And as a result of his travels, churches all over the eastern Mediterranean area were being born, including in this city called Corinth. But Paul had a group of relentless detractors who, who constantly would not leave him alone. These critics believed that a person had to follow the Old Testament Jewish laws in order to be a follower of Christ. But not only that, they didn't believe that Paul was a legitimate apostle. And so they were beginning to have influence in this young church, this, this church in Corinth. And in order to save his credibility, and not only his credibility, but the credibility of the message that he was preaching, Paul found himself defending his own credibility at the end of this letter. So he writes this letter we call 2 Corinthians in order to defend his apostleship, but more importantly, to defend his message. You can hear Paul's deep emotion in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians as he defends this legitimacy. It, you can take a look at the last few verses of chapter 11. You'll find Paul as he is listing out his credentials, his, his, the fact that not only was he um, a, a great Jew, but he also was, was a person that was persecuted because he was following Christ. But he ends this tirade, he just goes on and on and on, but he ends it with an important sentence that leads us to our main text today. And this is in verse 30. And he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He had all these things that he could, he could lay out before people, but then he ends it with, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is key to getting what the message of Christ is all about. This is verse 30. Paul had accolades. He had the pedigree. From the, from the human perspective, he 
He was the top dog. He was a boss. But Paul knew that in comparison to the greatness and the perfection and the goodness of God, he was nothing. There was nothing he could do or say that would ever measure up. I love the way that he put it to some people in, in a church in a city called Philippi. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, well, let me tell you, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, he throws that in, that's a good Jewish boy. Uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, I mean, top dog, a boss. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, loss. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I love this. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. In other words, faith, following Jesus, is discontentment with what I am and satisfaction with who God is and with who he is for me in Jesus. Paul says in verse 30 again, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. So now let's look at, at Paul's words in verses 6 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 12. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10. And he writes this. After he's gotten through boasting and, and saying, you know, he even says, you know, I, I'm talking like a crazy person, but I'm going to tell you all these things I've done. In, in this chapter, he says this. Well, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. In other words, in human terms, he had the credentials. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. He's referring back to when Jesus called him personally. Therefore, here he is. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. And insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. And then he finishes with this paradoxical statement. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is making an important point, not only to his detractors, but to anyone who would choose to follow Jesus. Our relationship with Christ and our witness for Christ is not dependent on our own stack resume. Amen? Okay. In fact, the opposite is true. The opposite is accurate. Our connection to Christ is dependent on our acknowledgement and our admission of our weakness. In verse 7, Paul described a particular weakness that he had as a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan. We're not sure what this was exactly. We have some guesses. Scripture leads us to believe that, that Paul had bad eyesight, and maybe he was talking about that. There's another passage that talks about him not being, being ill, and perhaps that he had a, had a debilitating illness. Or perhaps this 
messenger of Satan was one of these detractors that just wouldn't leave him alone. We don't know. I'm kind of glad that he didn't define it because it helps us to be able to more readily identify with Paul, right? In his weakness. We don't have to know what it is. But I believe there are four things that, that we can learn about our own weaknesses, whether they be limited physical abilities, challenging people around us, or even internal temptations in our lives. So let's learn why these limitations, these faults, these weaknesses are important to us as we deal with God. The first thing I want us to see is that our weaknesses make us humble. They make us humble. Notice in verse 7, Paul says that his thorn in the flesh was sent to him to keep him from being what? Conceited. That's right. To keep him from being conceited. You know, the, Jesus' ministry, in fact, his whole personality was marked with humility. I love that the mental image of him kneeling before his followers, his followers, and washing their dirty feet. That's humility. And he taught them, the first will be last, the greatest among you will be servants. It was a kingdom upside down. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then David, my boy David, I love. David, in the Old Testament, he was a mess. And in his, one of the times when he's repenting from having committed adultery and actually murdering someone, Psalm 51, you could read his whole prayer of repentance. But I love this particular part of it. It says, my sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. A humble, a broken heart. And then our weaknesses, they provoke us to depend on God. Look back at verse 9. These are the words that I believe we all need to hear today and tomorrow and every single day of our lives. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Would you just sit and soak those words for a moment? Jesus is saying to you about your life. It's not about you and what you can do. I've got this. Leave it to me. Jesus preached what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it was basically us who was preaching on the mountain. And this sermon we often quote from, but the very first line of the sermon says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's easy to quickly read over those words and think that Jesus was talking about the poor. But I want you to look at it carefully. What does it say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. You see, it's not about being poor, but he's saying, Jesus is basically saying that people who need me and know that they need me, they're the ones that get it. The people that need me and know that they need me. One commentator wrote it this way. The poor in spirit recognize that they have no spiritual assets. They know they are spiritually bankrupt. With the word poor, Jesus uses the more severe term for poverty. It indicates someone who must beg for whatever they have. 
forget. Next time you see a homeless person on the street, next time someone comes up and says, or you see that sign that says, we'll work for you, I'm hungry. I want you to think about these words of Jesus and think about that is us spiritually. We have no other option. We're beggars when it comes to Jesus. We are spiritually bankrupt. When I was a youth, when I actually worship pastor back in a church in Alabama, we had a speaker by the name of Dan Yellen who came and, and he said this as part of his testimony. And it it, it kind of left our, our jaws open and we, we thought about it and, and it's beautiful. He said, I thank God that I'm an alcoholic because it drives me to my knees before God. I don't want you to get hung up on, okay, he's not an alcoholic anymore, or he is not. See, skip what he's saying. He's saying, no matter what your weakness is, no matter what your struggle is, does it drive you to your knees? Does it drive you to depend on God? The beautiful part about it is that no matter what your weakness, no matter what your struggle, whether it's something external beyond your control or something internal, is that the Bible says that we have high priest that's Jesus that can sympathize completely with all of our weaknesses. Isn't that beautiful? Amy Grant has a new song. <laughs> yes, I will admit I'm a fan from the back. I'm a black hubby. And it's a <laughs> Way too much. 
loves you completely, purely. Your scars and your flaws, his grace is sufficient, but he loves you too much to not want to see you moving forward. Paul wrote to the Roman church, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that God can give, continue to give us grace so that grace may increase? By no means. Heck no. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And Wesley used this verse a lot when we did our, our series called Renovation back, back at Hayville Elementary. But that Romans 12, 2 verse applies here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now I want you to pay particular attention to the verb tense there. What does it say? Be transformed. It doesn't say transform yourself. It says be transformed. In other words, allow God to do his work. Allow God to do what he wants to do in your life. Surrender to, the God, to God's spirit to work in you. And then lastly, our weaknesses are an opportunity for God to get the glory. Paul writes in verse 10, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardness and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. One of my favorite descriptions of us as ordinary people who are carriers of the message of Christ is also found in 2 Corinthians, but back in, in, in chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, we are all a bunch of cracked pots. God uses us despite ourselves. The Bible is chock full of these cracked pots. That's why I love Scripture so much. Because it's got all these flawed people, these weak people that God uses. You've probably heard lists like this, but I love them. And I want you to hear it again. I want you to be excited about this, this list. The next time that you feel like God can't use you, that he can't love you, that he can't accept you with your weaknesses and your flaws, just remember, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. <laughs> Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and, and, and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah, Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> yeah? You see, in John 9, in John 9, um, and those of you that had a certain professor at, at this institution uh, immediately want to say something after say John 9. What do you want to say? Man born blind. That's right. John 9, man born blind. There's a story about a man who was born blind. He was, he, he was blind from, from birth. And the superstitious thinking of that day was that if somebody had an ailment, a physical ailment, then they were cursed. 
They were cursed because of something wrong that either they did or their parents did or somebody close to them. And so Jesus' disciples see this man and they said, hey, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? And I love what Jesus says back. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus healed. You see, there are many things that bring weaknesses into our, our human condition. There are many things that, that are just an opportunity waiting for God to show up and to show his glory. For some of you, you'll see it. You'll see it in a miraculous deliverance, in a miraculous healing. But more often than not, these things may be a lifelong lesson that he's teaching you in humility and dependence and in surrender. But either way, he gets the glory. He gets the glory. And I want to tell you that this is not just a sermon for me. It's not just a lesson that I studied to be able to spout out on the stage. This is my life. This is my life. I, I had a time in my life when I had to pretty much display everything wrong and everything weak about me in front of a, a congregation, in front of the leaders of, of, of a church. That church loved me. They lovingly asked me to resign, and then they walked me through a, a, a process of recovery. But I lived it, and I, I, I want this church to be that place, that place where if you've got a weakness, you don't have to be afraid to share it. You don't have to be afraid to, to reveal it. And again, it may be something beyond your control, an external circumstance that, that you just need help and support with, or it could be something internally that you're struggling with, a deep, dark secret. But it's a weakness that you that you you're hiding, and, and therefore God's power is not able to, to be to be full in your life. So I want to encourage you. Maybe it's today that, that, that you feel like, okay, it is, I, I've got to stop holding on to this. And you just need somebody to pray with you about a fault, a weakness, a limitation, something in your life. Just a moment, we're going to finish like we, we usually do with, with the Lord's Supper. What a great opportunity for us to come to his table and be able to commune with him, to be able to look Jesus in the eye, for him to say, my grace is sufficient for you. But during that time, there's going to be a couple of people standing up here, Josh and Kim. And Josh and Kim will be, and Stacy, great. They'll be available to pray with you. And so if you need somebody just to listen, and to pray. They would love to do that for you. We're going to pray. Following the prayer, uh, we'll, there'll be a song being played and sung. During that time, whenever you feel ready, go to the closest table to you. There's two in the back, two in the front. Take the bread, which is the body of Christ, the cup, which is the blood of Christ, and hear his words saying, My grace is sufficient for you. There's also buckets on the table if you come ready to give. Uh, you can do it at that time. So let's pray as we prepare our hearts for this. God, your words, the words of your Son are ringing in our ears. My grace is sufficient for you. I can be strong in your weakness. God, this encourages us and lifts our hearts. It draws us closer to you. It makes us love you even more. 
today, God, we just pray that it will be a day of, of vulnerability, a day of authenticity, a day when we drop the masks, a day when we flaunt our weaknesses, not to glory in the weakness itself. Father God, we, we don't want to pretend like we're, we're proud of anything that is limiting us, but we're proud of you. We boast in you. So today we boast in the weakness because of who you are. So we worship you as we come around the table. We worship you because of your son, Jesus Christ, and makes all of this possible through his death, his burial, his resurrection. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.